Hey gang, welcome to episode 23 of the No Persinium podcast, your podcast about immersive and interactive theater and its ilk. I'm your host and the founder of this crazy little mixed up world we call No Persinium, Noah Nelson. This episode is, it's a joy. It's an absolute delight. Uh, We're about to talk with Christopher Ashley, who is the artistic director of both the La Jolla Playhouse and of the Without Walls Festival, which is where I was at over the weekend. Um, Before we do that, just a little bit of news and notes. Um, And I'm going to focus on Los Angeles right now. Uh, mostly because the latest No Pro issue just came out uh, yesterday, and uh, this this I mean this is massive, guys. Like, I think there's two dozen things on the list. All of the new stuff that came out, and there are one, two, three, four. I'm counting it, five new entries uh, this issue. Uh, of which only one is from that extra issue we did two weeks ago. Uh, none of them are spooky season stuff, uh, not strictly speaking. Anyway, we've got uh, Return to Forever House, which is happening at the Machine Project. I just pronounced that in a very strange way, but I'm not going to retake it. Uh, Erotica, which is happening down at Play Collaborative Arts. Uh, those are the folks who brought us Retrograde. Grade. Oh wow, I am having trouble speaking. I apologize. Uh, there's there's a bunch of Uh, fun stuff in here. There are new escape rooms. There's going to be even more new escape rooms next time. Frankly, I need to change how we're doing escape rooms because they're eating up a lot of space. Um, That's the main thing I worry about. I just worry that this is just getting too big. We will see once spooky season closes up just how massive the newsletter feels on a regular basis, but there may be some format changes. Um, and that may also coincide with us uh, revamping the website and making a few little nips and tucks here and there. And we're definitely going to have a call out for somebody to please help us with the uh, logo situation because we don't have one. Uh, Here's what's up on that front, though, uh, is that before we go into any of that, I will be, and I can't remember if I mentioned this last time or not, so I apologize if I did, I will be issuing a transparency report on the podcast and its Patreon. I'm a big believer in crowdfunding. I think, now I'm remembering, I'm pretty sure I said this last time. And what I want to do is I want to show everyone where the funds for the show are going, how they're being spent, and you know what we can do to make things better. So if not next week, then the week after the transparency report will come out. It's just going to be an Excel spreadsheet, basically. I mean, and we're not doing anything fancy here. Uh, I just got to get off my butt and do it. All right, that is the news and notes. And now the preamble. The preamble to talk about the WoW Fest. So I went down to San Diego over the weekend. Uh, San Diego and La Jolla. Uh, they are different cities. La Jolla is much different than what I thought it was going to be. Uh, I was expecting like a sleepy little town, and instead uh, there are just there's condos and apartment homes everywhere, and like one of the biggest Westfields I've ever seen. And UC San Diego is ginormous, and the La Jolla Playhouse complex. There are multiple theaters. If you haven't been, just find an excuse to go. It is rather impressive, and so are the people who are working there. One of whom the boss, we're going to be talking to in a few minutes here. But let me tell you a little bit about the shows. Now, I've written up the, my notes on the festival over at the Medium Collection, medium.com slash no dash and you can get a, a, a bigger sense of what was going on. I'm going to write up specific notes probably on three shows to go a little more in depth in terms of what I saw while I was there. But here's the big takeaway, and this is part of this I said in this week's edition of the LA Newsletter. If you find yourself with the opportunity to go see a piece called Ojo, that's O-J-O, by Bricolage, which is a company out of Pittsburgh. You need to take it. Take the opportunity. I don't care if you're two hours away. I almost don't care if you're four hours away. 
I don't care if you're in New York and you find out it's happening in Pittsburgh again and you're like, do I have to get on the train? You need to get on the train. Just go. I say this because, and I think I might mention this in an interview, so I do apologize. This is the first piece I've seen that has come close to rivaling Then She Fell in My Heart. It's pretty amazing. I don't want to go into too much detail here. I will go into more detail in the long-form piece about it while still trying to avoid spoilers. Uh, Frankly, I'd prefer if people who've experienced OHO uh, or who have resigned themselves to never experiencing OHO, if they'll be the ones who are reading that piece, so I'm totally limiting my audience. But it's definitely a piece that benefits from going in knowing as little as you can because it is an experience. Another piece that deserves to tour the way Oho got to tour it's called The Bitter Game. This is a piece to wrap your head around. I don't want to say it's about Black Lives Matter as a movement, because it's not exactly about that. It's about the reason why the Black Lives Matter movement exists and why it matters. It's a very personal piece of storytelling that at the same time winds up touching on the biggest social issue we've got facing us as a society right now. And it is done in such a way that is completely engaging, very immersive, even though it's a solo show. This piece needs to be seen by as many human beings in this country as possible. And given the nature of a solo show that takes place on a basketball court and can only fit so many human beings around a functionally unamplified voice, although they do use some amplification, but it's best when it's not, that means not a lot of people will get to see the bitter game. When this thing manages to make its way near to you. And I don't know for a fact that it's going to tour, but I feel in my bones that it will, that it needs to. And hopefully there'll be some kind of announcement soon. When it comes to your town, and if LA is your town, when it comes to our town, I want you to go. End of story. More information over at the Medium. That's me riding hard for the two shows that really just stood out above everything that I saw at the Wow Fest. And there was some amazing stuff there. And there was like good work from companies that we, we know and we trust and rely upon. Uh, so I don't want to denigrate what anyone did there. Uh, festivals are a wonderful space. They're unique. It's a great chance for everyone to take risks. When some work comes out of it that is just beyond... I just want to single it out in praise and uh, get more people to see it. I mean, that's that's the whole reason why we do this show, we do any of this stuff at all, is for that purpose. All right, um, that's enough. We're about to talk with Christopher Ashley, who is the artistic director of the La Jolla Playhouse and the man who puts together the Without Walls Festival. Uh, a couple of fun notes about Christopher Ashley. Uh, he went to Yale. Uh, he directed the stage version of the uh, of a piece called Jeffrey that went on to be the film Jeffrey, which he also directed. That one starred Stephen Weber and Patrick Stewart. Uh, it was the second time that week, the week we recorded this, that I got to talk with someone who has either directed or put words in the mouth of Patrick Stewart. And both times, I did not let them know that I knew that. I just played it cool, looked them in the eye, talk to them like they were normal human beings, despite the fact that I just wanted to freak out and say, did you make him say make it so? Did you make him say make it so? All right. Uh, That's enough fanboying for right now. 
you enjoy this conversation we had with, uh, I just used the royal we, eh, you know me, with Christopher Ashley of the Without Walls Festival. We're rolling. Uh, we kind of do the stumble in because it's the beauty of podcasts. You just kind of fly through. Nice. Um, Christopher, for, for the sake of the, the listening audience who know my voice so well but not yours, uh, please identify yourself. I am Christopher Ashley, the artistic director of La Jolla Playhouse, and uh, we're talking about the WOW Festival. That's right. Uh, the Without Walls Festival. Uh, you guys heard about it in the intro. Um how did this come? This is the third WOW Festival? This is or? the second festival. We've okay. been doing them every other year. So we started okay. in 2013, and this is our second one now in 2015. So the, the obvious question is, why uh, a Without Walls Festival, and, and how did this come together? So I'm a geeky, complete fan of... Uh, site-specific work, immersive theater. It's just one of my favorite things is when uh, artists create something for a space and when they try to break down and reinvent what's the relationship with the audience. Uh, so I've like always been the first one in line to buy um, tickets to the, the most exciting new immersive show. Um, and when I arrived at La Jolla Playhouse, it's now been eight years, um, you kind of walk into this extraordinary array of spaces, gardens, palm trees, eucalyptus groves, public spaces, courtyards, private little gardens. Uh, there's this great um, sculpture collection here called the Stewart Collection, uh, which has like a big Stonehenge, which uh, we're creating a dance piece in, uh, a little kind of Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz house that fell on the engineering building that we're doing a piece in. So there's all of these amazing spaces. Last first festival, we did a, a Basil Twist piece that came up out of the ocean that all the audiences on the beach experienced. So just the, the places here invite theater. Uh, the weather is extraordinary in San Diego, so it's pretty uh, it's pretty helpful for an outdoor festival. Although in this one, it's actually 100 degrees today. Yeah, luckily I don't notice it anymore. Excellent. <laughs> I used to I used to notice the heat. And stuff. if you hear any sounds in the background, that's actually a performance of a show called Oho. Oh my god! Uh, which takes you around the world, so you occasionally will hear chickens or calls to prayer or a Mumbai uh, street behind and, me. And sadly, you guys may hear that, but you won't be able to smell it. And it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible. I mean, I've been saying this openly. Like, Oho is rivaling Then She Fell for me as as you know, top immersive experience of all time. And it's not fair. I don't I don't actually rank these things in my head. But there's just something absolutely magical about what Bricolage is doing. So. How did you how did you wind up bringing them in? Like, talk to me about the the process of who winds up being part of this this festival. So, uh, wow, it's um, every conceivable different way of programming we we use. Uh, th- we've all kinds of programming this time is. Um, in collaboration with local theater uh, groups, local museums. Uh, uh, there's a uh, opera that there is premiering their first piece here called City Opera. Um, we have a deep relationship with UCSD, which we're on the campus of. Uh, so um, there's a, a one faculty member has created a piece, a student has created a piece. Uh, and then I, I go around the, the world to international festivals and uh, cherry pick the pieces that I love to bring them in. So uh, it's a real it's a real mix of uh, things that were grown in San Diego and my favorite things from around the world. What do you you mentioned that you're, you're a nerd for this stuff and they're excited about it. What are you looking for? I mean, you just did an artist chat with uh, the artists of Bricolage and talking. You talked about about agency as one of the, the things in this space that's really interesting. Is is that what you're looking for when you're programming this? Because I, I mean, but I know that that can't be the only thing here. Yeah. Um, I love that this, whatever, however you define this contemporary art form, uh, we're doing um, really looking for site-specific things that activate a space, are inspired by a space. I really love immersive work. So almost all the work um, kind of re-examines the relationship between audience and artist, but it, like it's very related to a lot of the devised work that people are doing around the country as well. Um, I love the questions that these artists are asking um, about uh, what is art, uh, how does art um, become cru- crucial and indispensable in someone's life, how does it relate to the real? I'm making a quotey fingers around the idea of the real. I mean, one of the, so many of these pieces. Uh, have a moment where 
an actor is is creating a fictional moment and some real life is happening right behind them right next to them and it really blurs the line between art and reality mm. between life and fiction in ways that I think is, is kind of fascinating one of my all-time favorite um, audience ex- experiences was um, Small Metal Objects, which I saw in the uh, Staten Island Ferry, mm. which kind of cr- put a piece right in the middle of all of the traffic going on of people going in uh, to and uh, arriving from Staten Island. And just the relationship between all of this New York bustling real life and this like urgent story in the middle of it was yeah. fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a few pieces here that are, are definitely playing with the dynamic of of um, just reality, the world is happening, even like in the pre-show, like in, in Heaven on Earth, there's a there's a pre-show, yeah. and Healing Wars, there, there are pre-show sequences before you move into the main piece, and and both of them, you just kind of have people kind of milling about, and it's up to you to sort of zero in on what you, you want to zero in on, and 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 that's such a, a different problem than what most theater artists ever dare to tackle. Because usually it's just, hey, come into my space, put your butt in a chair, and like I'm gonna take you through. Please, please give your focus over to what's happening right here, and we'll we'll light it, we'll give you sound cues, we'll direct your attention in a very particular way. And this is like, oh, yeah, you can do what you want to do. But you want to stand on yourself on, you can stand on yourself for a while. But like at a certain point, you're gonna start to feel people's attention zero in on something, and you're gonna want to stay fixed with it. Yeah. Um, I feel like I feel like that's almost directly in dialogue with like our whole culture because you know in, uh, in out in the media realm we talk about the attention economy right so like the Silicon Valley you know Facebook blah 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 the, the attention economy like how can we get eyeballs on websites how can we keep people tuned into a television show and not pick up a, a screen and and this art seems to be in dialogue with that i completely agree and i think some of it's because it activates the audience as a participant so fully uh that you really have choice making that you're doing about like do i want to sit down now and grab a chair do i want to stand up am i going to am i going to be closer to the actor am i going to be farther am i going to make a friend of the person next to me who's also in the audience there's all of this um very democratic, very mm. activated audience engagement. Uh, and it like it people are constantly taking selfies in it. Do you know what I mean? Like like the audience <laughs> advertises this work for us oh, yeah. in a really extreme way. And like when's the last time at a you know performance of uh, Death of a Salesman in a regular theater that you saw someone like turn around and you know during the show it's like me with <laughs> Willie Loman behind me speaking. Yeah. Like that doesn't happen. Yeah. But outside it like we were doing a production called Spheres, which has these oh, yeah. four kind of creatures that grow out of these glowing um, spheres. And like everybody was photographing it and there were there they were experiencing it and there we're sending it to their friends simultaneously. There's a great moment, and and so spoiler alert, kind of here, uh, but there's a great moment in the Bitter Game, which is a solo piece, and and maybe the best solo immersive piece I've seen so far. And I would call it immersive because uh, it's staged on a basketball court, and even though the the core form of it is is your you know here's a performer and they're given their monologue, there's something about the way it's staged and that performer who's just so engaging and there's this moment where it becomes um, I'll be vague about it it becomes a scene we've seen a lot in the news lately and he asks everyone to take out their cell phones and and document what's about to happen and he really does and he waits for people to go and do that and and I took out my cell phone I started videoing it and I kind of turned and like videoed the people videoing it yeah Um, and and there's this the sense that even that little bit of participation is enough to start to really connect you and, and ground you. And I can also at the same time sort of hear my professors, well, not my professors because they were cool, but I can hear other professors <laughs> from when I was in theater school maybe wigging out about the idea of the audience being so out of pocket. You know that 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 it's that it's focused on them and like it's it's them about selfie. Like people, you know, taking a picture at a show would just be like, no, yeah. like never. Like you wouldn't want to have someone taking a, a selfie at Death of a Salesman because it meant that they weren't engaged. Whereas this 
type of theater knows that that's almost essential. I think that's exactly right. I'm really proud of that piece. I that piece grew out of he had um, Keith Wallace, who's mm-hmm. the uh, performer and um, writer of that piece, had come in to talk to us about doing Brother Size, a wonderful play, mm-hmm. at, at site specifically in the festival, and it had just been done in San Diego, and I didn't feel like it was a freshness idea. But he ended up talking about what it's like to be a young black man and turning on the news every night yeah. and seeing um, that imagery, the kind of Black Lives Matter, like police uh, brutality. And he ended up talking, he talked about what it's like to, to be his mother and knowing that her son is going out into the world and playing a game that there are no rules. Yeah. Uh, and that anything could happen at any time and something really dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and he had such passion about it. We said, like, let's make a piece. And that idea of a game with no rules, let's put it on a basketball court and, like, let that metaphor kind of live in the piece. Uh, so th- starting from an artist's passionate feeling about what the world is right now fast forward six months and the audience is experiencing his response to this moment in a way that feels very current and very vital and very full of passion and artistry, but like in the moment. Absolutely. I mean, there's the way the ideas are articulated um, and particularly that idea of like, you know, the using the basketball court and, and, and the metaphor of the rules. And you're just saying like, it's like taking a metaphor and putting it into space. And like, that's what, at its heart, what theater is supposed to do is like, we're going to take these ideas, we're going to embody them. Like really embody. It's not just a, something thrown up on a screen to watch. It's like, it's, it's visceral. And my God, like I, I hadn't seen a, a piece of, Oh God, what's, what's the, the, my education's failing me right now. I'm sorry, uh, Professor Kelzar. Uh, the, the, and, and, and all my professors. Um, I hadn't seen a piece uh, in the, I don't want to call it agitprop, because it's not agitprop, right? Um, because it somehow this bitter game winds up being gentler than what I think of as agitprop. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not didactic, it's... It is visceral. It's inviting us in. Like when he takes on the role of the mother and starts explaining the rules of the game, it embodies something we've seen referenced in the news so many times, like the idea of the speech. You know, I mean, even the president said, like, if I had a son, I'd be giving him the speech, which is how does a young black man behave around police officers? And we, we get that speech and we learn the dimensions of the of the speech. And because we're on the basketball court, just the lines he's talking about lines and there are lines on the court and and it all just sinks up to become this three-dimensional moment um sorry everyone you didn't see the piece so like that's uh that was completely self-indulgent of me uh they're used to that by now um is is that something you see this idea of commissioning a piece and and getting this kind of work uh, going, do you see that as the role of the festivals, the role of the playhouse moving forward? I mean, how it, by putting your stake in the ground just a couple of years ago with this festival, all of a sudden, you know, UCSD and La Jolla are are the the West Coast center for this, and it's, and maybe even like one of the centers for the entire continent for this kind of immersive and site-specific stuff. Is, is is that just a happy accident, or is this part of an ambition here? I love that you said that. I hope that's true. Uh, I, mean, I don't know of another festival of this scale in this kind of work. I really don't. Um, I, I there's, a, there's an incredible amount of excitement about this work in this community right now. I yeah. just feel like everybody's got like pride that, that, that there's a sense that San Diego and the Playhouse and the university are on the, the leading edge of, of this. But also... Um, I feel like San Diego has really um, gotten excited about th- putting themselves in the picture, and the idea that as an audience member, you are you are part of that story, and that you're a collaborator in creating the story. I think that's really exciting to people, and I love the way it encourages people to watch theater, where it's so much less the kind of Siskel and Ebert thumbs up, thumbs down. I like it. I didn't like it. Yeah, and so much more an adventurer who's going to experience something unexpected. Uh, and I, and that, that sense of wonder and, and anticipation of, I wonder what's next. Yeah. I wonder what this piece will be like. Uh, and kind of expecting to be 
challenged and experienced something fresh and that you haven't felt before. I, I can tell you that the magic's definitely working. We were on the shuttle back from Heaven on Earth last night, back down to the Festival Village, and the conversation on the bus sort of picked up and started talking about all the different shows and, and back and forth. And, and I sort of had this rule of thumb for arts festivals is how is the conversation on the shuttle bus? Because when you're at Sundance, for instance, you know, it's, it makes you wish that every bus in the world was like that because <laughs> everyone's just talking about movies. Everyone instantly has something to say to someone else, the person sitting next to them, because they just said the instant question is like, what did you see? What did you like? Oh, I didn't like, oh, oh, what was that one about? Oh, that's doing really interesting. And because it's festival, everyone knows that things might not be polished. Yeah. You know, like it takes a minute, I always find for me to like come back out of normal world, uh, default world in Burning Man language, um, and, and go into festival mindset, which is like, I'm going to be open more than I usually am. I know that, you know, maybe the loop here isn't closed and this isn't a polished piece of something that like just wants me to like observe it at a distance. Like this is something that's like, it's a, it's a thought that someone's had and they're putting out there for everyone else to engage with. And, and you see whether or not it's working on the bus. And last night, clearly, it was working. I'm really glad. The, the conversation was just popping. Um, that idea, that word you used, openness. Yeah. I do think that it's like the hallmark of this work when it, when it, when it's effective and and clicking, it it encourages an audience to watch it with openness, yeah. with an open heart, with open expectations, and in a very like they're. I feel like they're watching it, um, completely unclenched. And un, like, you know, sometimes people will be judgmental anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but they're not starting with judgment. They're starting with expectation. Right. And that's a great way to watch art. Yeah. Or even, and the expectation is just like, what? You know, it's yeah. just like, I don't know what I'm getting into, you know? And, 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 and the beauty of a festival is like, you can just like jump onto a track and like, you don't have to be lured out. There can be fatigue sometimes. It's like, oh God, this is my fourth thing in a row. And like, I don't know if I've got any energy left for it. Yes. Um, but that's the great thing of like, as long as you've got food and drink, it's also a party. Yeah. And you can like stop, you can get off the dance floor and sit down and, and talk to somebody at the party. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You were asking, I think, about um, produ- commissioning work and yes. producing work. Yes. And that's really in the in the the rest of our work that's not without walls mm-hmm. that's really the theater that we are we do a lot of new work a lot of world premieres you good yeah um we do a lot of new work a lot of world premieres um we commission uh very actively and we're very much about creating a new piece where nothing existed before um so in this world we're also doing a lot of commissioning and and producing brand new works um and that's in a balance with presenting works that i've seen and loved right right? so hopefully when you come to the festival there's a couple of things that you know have have really been um you know coming from australia or coming from europe and um and and arrive like in full flower and ready to go and there's and there's all kinds of works that's that's uh brand new and working itself out in front of you and i love that mix yeah where one thing's I could wind up talking to you for hours and maybe over the long period of life I will um, there's a continuum of this kind of work in my head and there's a lot of language around it site specific immersive interactive open frame yeah. uh, which is the most all-encompassing uh, our, our East Coast guy Zay really loves it he's also sat down with uh, Michael Tara Garver so like you know, she initiated him into that um, and it is useful uh where where do you do you see a, a commonality in, in all in all those different forms, or do you see like a particular? I'll get hippie here. Like, is there is there a particular spot of energy, like a locus of the activity that that is most interesting to you, or do you think it's got the most kind of? The coffee's not working today, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to get at is everyone's approaching this space with different language. And it's something that in the artist's talk with Bricolage, uh, I'm probably mispronouncing because I'm really good at mispronouncing words, uh, <laughs> they mentioned is like everyone's, everyone's got a different terminology. Everyone's trying to figure this stuff out. Is this, and, and then there's the whole point of like trying to market it to people, right? It's like people walk in to one of these pieces or they maybe vaguely hear about a piece and like I'll encounter things where people say, oh, this is an immersive piece. And then I walk in and they sit me down in a chair and it's a really 
pretty and maybe it's very engaging, but there's there's not a focus on the audience. There's not a conversation happening between us. It's just like I'm watching something. It's there's some people call that now observational, which yeah. I think is really interesting. Like, do, do you see this whole field maturing into where there's a, a common tongue, or does there need to be one? Is that something that's not even necessary? I say as I watch people uh, in OHO, and it's like I don't know how you would explain that to a, a person. Certainly not <laughs> not, not uh, via microphone. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. without pictures. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a great question. I. Um, I couldn't find one word or descriptive term that encompasses the whole thing. Like there, there's there's different impulses. Yeah. But I think part of the reason it's so hard to describe is that all of these artists share a desire to break the rules. Right. Yeah. So and as soon as, we have as, soon as you define as soon as you define yeah. it well, they're all going to be working against that definition. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because I, I think there's something intrinsically like let's there's some there's a very modernist contemporary impulse of I want to be in the here and now, and I don't want to be faithful to the way you're supposed to make a piece of art or a play or a piece of music. I want to create something fresh and new and of this moment of this place. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's. Um, people who write and talk about this work will will continue to 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 look for how do you describe it, uh, what kind of terms they're going to use. But I think the artists are going to keep on frustrating you. Yeah, yeah. No, and 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 good good for the frustration. You know, like although I, there's there is some there there there's some common there there. I feel like our audiences. This stuff took off at the Playhouse faster than I could believe. Right, mm. the, the audience for it is pretty voracious. Yeah, to to come see it, and I don't know that they could say what it is, but almost all of the audience would say, "Oh, that's a wow piece." Yeah, like that's a without walls, and they they can feel when it's in the zone of this kind of work. Yeah, as as we've been doing it, um, and I don't know that they've got a word for it. But they've got a they, they they they've got a feeling for it. I think you're you're dead on right. That's the thing. There's a feeling, you know. There's 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 a sense of it that the magic's working. Yeah. You know, and there can even be like a sense of, oh, it picked up and oh, then it went away. Oh, it's back. You know, like within within a single piece, it can kind of start to to play that way. And and I feel like when there's when it's intentionally doing that, it's like, oh, I'm engaging you. Okay, now I want you to watch this. Uh, I feel like it's. The, the thing that's always being played with is the the attention and the agency of of the audience um, the, that relationship of the observer to the observed and and for some of the pieces it probably even like flips like it was interesting in the artist chat and Brookledge was saying like you know we don't get there's no point where everyone claps yes but we get amused by they didn't, they didn't say amused, but they, you know, they said that the audience was often entertaining them because they're watching the audience react to what they're doing, and like they might wind up breaking because like the reaction is just what they were not expecting, or they were telling a story about you know they talked someone into stripping and didn't expect them to actually strip. Um, that the fact that the audience can surprise people, the fact that it becomes this this uh, this interplay, this game, this conversation that's happening sometimes even without words. Um, between the artists and and the audience and when you're on either side of that that's like the where the magic is like for me like in, in then she fell we were talking about then she fell a little bit before uh we started it, it's those moments when you find yourself in that that one-on-one -on -one experience and you're just having this this brief moment of connection between you and and the artist and i feel like even even in in stuff that has kind of a more traditional setup, that's still what's the most interesting is that is that just the, even that split second of recognition, you know, of like a one mind to another mind. Um, one of the things that yeah, the great theater inside in a proscenium in a regular seat like has moments of transcendence and like wow wow this thing is really taking flight. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the things I love about immersive site specific pick your term is it really encourages artists to try to discover those moments that are actually happening right now yeah fully yeah where the artist is really in the moment and yeah. the audience is all the way engaged and there's no we're pretending this is this moment is happening no it's actually happening yeah 
and the yeah. actualness of that I feel like this kind of art gets to actualness of like of emotion and like you're in the story and the story is not removed and I'm pretending it's happening in front of me yeah it is actually happening right now like even like a great site-specific work that that isn't trying to play with the attention of the audience it isn't inviting any interaction it can feel like oh I'm not supposed to be here I'm watching something and and they just don't notice that I'm in the room with them, and yeah. their lives are just playing out. There's something cinematic about it. It's right. voyeuristic. Very much. So. And, and there's that. There's a. There's. A, I'm almost saying like there's a dark thrill to it of like oh oh ooh yeah. like I shouldn't be seeing this right now, and 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 when it's because at that point the actors are just they're in that moment of actualness. You know, it's, it feels strange to me to think that purely naturalistic acting could be really interesting to me. But when you put it in the context of it's just you in a room with two other people and they're fully natural, you start to lose a sense. Just as much as like, you know, oh, I, I, I'm blindfolded and I'm being led around the world somehow. It's just as much a sense of like, I don't know what's real anymore. Are they really having that moment? Yeah. And, and if you're an actor, you know that if the scene's working well, even though it's fake... I'm doing air quotes. You really are having that moment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's also, because length is up for grabs, right? Like, sometimes mm. people will still do a two-hour experience, but sometimes they'll do a four-minute show. Yeah. Many, 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 many times in a row. Yeah. For actors, there's this wild new problem in this kind of work of, like, how do you, like, loop hundreds of times in a day through a piece of material. Yeah. Like, and what's it like to stay fresh in that because it's a much smaller amount of story that you're telling many, 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 many times in a row. Yeah. And and, and, and probably the person's, like, in the car plays. Yeah. These are 10-minute plays, and you're going to have many audience members during the course of the day that are a foot away from you. And everyone's a little bit different because the audience members are a little bit different, but you're experiencing that story 50 times a day. Yeah. And that's like a new, different problem from playing Willie Loman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's something there's something related to, say, it's probably the process like on a David Fincher movie where we did, you know, you're doing 50 takes. Yeah. You're doing 50 takes in a day. And... and I haven't I haven't performed in a piece that loops like that. I I wonder what kind of emotional stamina it takes to put yourself through it and put yourself through it and put yourself through it. Right. No, it's really I think it's intense for people and I think that there's some sweet spot to be found for the performers where you're not distanced from it, you're all the way in it. Yeah. But you're also riding the wave of it. You're not like, you know, you're not forcing it 50 times in a row. You find some way in which you and the character are have an easiness and uh and are like collaborating and you and the audience members are kind of collaborating on telling that story again and again. Uh, in relation to to here in this in the, in UCSD as, as as a program, are there people who are sort of working on that as I don't want to say a problem, but like trying to find a process for sustaining that kind of performance or, or investigating there. Because I think that to me is one of the most interesting lines of inquiry in here is the, the, the actor in an immersive or, or, or just one of these, you know, intimate experiences. Because it's, I've had some actors and, and directors tell me, you know, it, it comes down to the personality of the performer. Yes. That some people just, they can't do it. You know, it's just not in their, their programming emotionally to be able to, to have that kind of connection, like for whatever reason. And you can even see that as you go through some pieces where you're like, oh, oh this person's like totally comfortable engaging with the audience and this just feels natural. And other people are like, oh, you feel like you're monologuing and we're not really here. Even in the course of like a single piece, depending on, on the structures. Um, but that that way in and particularly because in some pieces people are are you know there's a small amount of risk sometimes even a great amount of risk involved if you know you're alone with a, a patron and you don't know what they're going to do um which is why a company like bricolage has like cameras everywhere so they can see what's going on right there's there's surveillance theater as part of the production of some of these things but is that is that something you see people here or or in general 
exploring how to sort of train the actor for this sort of I've heard a lot I mean I, I haven't heard it discussed academically that much I'm sure somebody is yeah but the all the directors and writers and creative teams and actually the teachers who were involved in the wow festival at UCSD all end up talking about how do you um, combine the rehearsal process the planning the original intent of those scenes with the improvisational ability to also respond to what's actually happening with this particular audience member. Yeah. Right? That you're negotiating between a plan and a live event that is giving you new information that you have to grapple with and incorporate. Yeah. And that balance of the the rehearsal and the improvisation is one of the really beautiful things about this kind of work. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's 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 fascinating to watch everyone sort of magpie from dis- different disciplines and like, yeah. you know, um, Bricklage was talking about how like some of their audience are gamers and I know I have that strain in me and I see a lot of that, like people approaching it or then Punch Drunk talks about what they do and like very much talking about the language of video games when, when Felix starts going, you know, like a lot of inspiration drawn from there and that, that that's such you know, you go back 30 years and it wasn't as part of our, it wasn't a part of our culture as much, even though there was immersive and interactive work being done. I mean, you know, it's, it's funny, you can trace this stuff back. You know, there's, there's, there was Tamara in Los Angeles in the 80s. Uh, Happenings in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, Grotowski, you know, before then. And it's all part of the same, you know, lineage. Yeah. But it's almost like until there was a generation raised on interacting with their entertainment all the time maybe the audience wasn't quite ready for it you know and not hungry for it in a way and now there's this there's this feels like this pent-up desire for people to like go somewhere strange and do something they haven't done before and like the one thing that can truly answer that happens to be the people who are doing theater i think that's right and i think that this i mean theater has always been um a communal event Mm. This kind of work builds community so fast and strong. Yeah. Like, it's a big trust exercise, a performance. <laughs> and at the end of it, so many times people end up walking away. People who just met as audience members at that are in a conversation, and that turns into a friendship. Like, I, compared to other kinds of theater, I have so many stories in this immersive world of people saying, I met one of my best friends watching that play together. Yeah. And I love that. I love the way that it, it, it creates community. Yeah. No, I, I, one of my favorite moments in L.A. the past year was uh, walking into, um, both in and out, I walked into the, the, uh, a piece called The Day Shall Declare It. And when I got there, I realized that like, I knew half the audience already because like, it was all like the, the immersive theater junkies in L.A. And then at the end of it, you know, everyone you know, audience and performers like stuck around and we just start, you know, there's this conversations and people are connecting that, you know, didn't know each other and like you start to like kind of cross over and and it felt like, you know, we had built a bonfire in the form of this piece. And by we, I mean both the performers who had put it on for us and the audience who was there to like, you know, be shepherded through. And at the end of it, it isn't just that thing in the lobby where like, oh, you were great and you were wonderful. But like, no, it was like everyone together just just being there and like we we all if you're a theater kid you know what a cast party is like and you know that there's nothing better than like the drinks after the show or a cast party and like I'm the kind of person who hates a party but loves a cast party if I was a member of the cast if I wasn't a member of the cast like I don't want to go because I just feel weird it's like I don't know what to do it's like I didn't just go through a war with all these people like they had to let them have their thing I don't need to observe as an audience member for this sort of stuff though it's like I was there yeah you know, we were we were equal. Yeah. That getting to that democratic thing, we we did something together, and it changes. And then afterwards, you have a shuttle ride that never ends. <laughs> exactly. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop our formal interview at this point. We'll probably chat for a couple of minutes afterwards. Uh, Christopher, thank you so much. My pleasure. All right, gang, that was our interview with Christopher Ashley, the artistic director of the La Jolla Playhouse and the Without Walls Festival. I also want to thank Becky Beagleson, who is the PR person down at La Jolla, for uh, helping set all this up. Wonderful person. Um, 
and just you know help guide me through that world and i'm very very happy with the festival experience i had you can see it on my face there's a photo out there i changed i actually changed my my uh my facebook i don't think i changed my twitter though i need to change my twitter picture um you can see on my face just how much fun i was having while i was at that festival i mean it really it really was uh just the right place to go hey um, this is the part of the show where you've shown incredible fortitude and you've listened to everything and you're wondering, well, what can I do to make this even better? Well, we have a little answer for you. It's called Patreon. Patreon, uh, aside from getting hacked, is a wonderful service that allows people who create all kinds of, um, fun little things like podcasts and videos to, um, to get some financial assistance in doing that. Think of it as, um, you know, public media without the pledge drive and without the 501c3 status. Uh, I mean, ignore that part, uh, more or less. Hey, uh, we get about $44 a month to uh, put the show together. Uh, like I mentioned before, we're going to issue a uh, transparency report on that and show where the cash is going. There's a couple other things we want to do to kind of make the podcast better, get Zay some equipment, for instance. I'll be restructuring a few things soon enough. And I just want to point out that uh, everyone who does donate, um, who, who backs the show, because donate's not exactly the right word because it's not tax deductible or anything, uh, you guys make the show possible. Without you, uh, I, w- I literally would not be doing this. I, I would not... Uh, take the risk of throwing down uh, the cash each month to keep the servers running. So if nothing else, you guys keep the servers running and the extra money we put into better equipment. It's that simple. Uh, Throw in a buck if you love the show. I know there's a lot more of you listening to the show now than our backers. Um, We just, we only, we don't do it by the piece. Uh, We do it by the month. Uh, So whatever you can throw in their helps and offsets the costs and you know, maybe it gets us some more some more cool stuff, more cool adventures and some even greater interviews going forward. If you want to keep up with No Persinium, there's an easy way to do it. You get on the newsletter. I'm sure you already are. If you're not, you go to nopersinium.com and you sign up. Now we will be having a change soon. Soon it's not going to just be that blank page with the MailChimp sign up. There's going to be more. There are three No Persinium newsletters you can choose from Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York. All of them are excellent. Uh, get them all. Get them all. If you're the person who travels, lucky you. Get them all. Go to the place that has the most interesting stuff whenever you can. You can find us on Twitter at No Persinium. You can find us on Facebook. Look for No Persinium. We do what we can because we must. Oh, wait. That's not us. That's that other thing. Uh we're here to connect you with the immersive, interactive, and open frame culture. Oh, finally found a word other than entertainment to use. And I, it was staring me in the face all along. Yes, the open frame culture. Uh, maybe a little too granola even for me, but I do love my granola. We connect you with it. We help you find it, and whenever possible, we help you make it. We're hoping to have a very exciting 2016. And I'm looking forward to everyone being along for the ride. And yeah, there's nothing else to say at the moment. I hope you enjoy the episode. I know I did. I'm going to go get myself scared senseless, probably, by going to the alone experience. And uh, then the week after that, I'm going to be at The Hollow here in L.A., where the Speakeasy Society should be probably trying to scare me senseless again. Uh, Maybe not scare me. Probably scare me. Until then, I'll see you at the show.
Um, and usually the Not a problem. All right. Um, I love the questions that these artists are asking. All right. All right, gang. That was the interview with the man who puts together the Without Walls Festival. I mean, not all by himself. There are so many volunteers and uh, hold on. You know what? Let me do something here. I'm going to do this right. Beagleson. 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 All right, that was the interview. For All right, gang, that was our interview with Christopher Ashley, the artistic director of the La Jolla Playhouse and the Without Walls Festival. I want to thank Chris for being on the show. I also want to say, yeah. All right, gang, that was our interview with Christopher Ashley, the artistic director of the La Jolla Playhouse and the Without Walls Festival. I want to thank Chris for being on the show. I also want to thank Becky... Becky... Beagleson. 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 Beagleson.